Hello, 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 and welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It is episode number 43. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer, and you can find the show wherever you can find your favorite out sports podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are there. Don't you worry. Uh, I sound a bit different this week, perhaps a bit fainter, perhaps like I don't have a microphone because I don't have a microphone. My microphone broke, uh, unbeknownst to me, as uh, we were getting ready to uh, record our, my interview this week with Brian Bell, one of our OutSports contributors who you'll hear momentarily. So no microphone this week. We're going in raw, uh, but it's going to work out. Don't worry. Trust me. I'm experienced at this. Um, if someone says that to you elsewhere in life, don't trust them. But for me, when it comes to podcasting, we'll get through this. I'll just yell into my computer mic. Uh, so welcome in. Um, good show coming up this week. A show in which I return a bit to my roots. Not a lot of people know this, but as a teenager, I not only had my own Red Sox podcast, which I've written about and talked about extensively, uh, I had my own wrestling podcast, the No Holds Barred wrestling podcast, which actually had a bigger and far more active online community and following than my Red Sox podcast did. And we see a similar trend trend happening at OutSports with the aforementioned Brian Bell, who covers wrestling for us and hosts his own podcast, the LGBT in the Ring Pod. Uh, these wrestling fans are serious. They are diehards. They eat up any content, uh, good content that they can get. And Brian provides that. And uh, I used to be one of them. I was a nonstop wrestling geek. I watched every pay-per-view. I made my dad record every pay-per-view on VCR. I was insane. And I only fell off in college because, frankly, I was afraid kids would make fun of me for liking wrestling. That and once I started to have a little bit of a life to my own, it became a little hard to mandate being home when the wrestling events were on. And of course the great uh, Boston University. You pay all that tuition, all that room and board, but no DVRs in the in the dorm rooms. As a spoiled 18-year-old, that was like my main cause, my, <laughs> my, my, my cause for change. Get us DVR in the dorm room. But they didn't have it. So I fell off in the world of wrestling. But uh, I'm having Brian on the show this week because there was a big death in the wrestling world that intersects with our world, LGBTQ sports. Uh, Pat Patterson passed away this week, one of the all-time wrestling greats, an intercontinental champion, a tag team great, uh, one of Vince's right-hand guys for several decades. Uh, those who grew up watching wrestling in the Attitude Era, as I did, best know Pat Patterson as one of Vince's henchmen with Gerald Briscoe. Uh, but Pat Patterson was gay. He came out as gay publicly in 2014 in an emotional uh, Legends video alongside guys like Jim Duggan and, Super, and uh, Jimmy Hart and Howard Finkel and Mean Gene Okerlund. It's, it's only about a two minutes long and it's definitely worth watching just the emotion that Pat Patterson has when he comes out to those guys publicly and how accepting they are and how much they embrace him. But 
The truth is, they knew before that revelation. Pat Patterson was openly gay in the world of professional wrestling for a long time. And I'm not, not I'm just not talking about, you know, the 80s or the 90s. No, I'm talking about late 1950s, 1960s, you know, around the time when President Dwight Eisenhower was trying to rid our federal government of openly gay people. Uh, Pat Patterson was openly gay in the mean and macho world of professional wrestling. And he wasn't just openly gay, he was a bonafide superstar. So we throw around the world trailblazer quite a bit, but Pat Patterson is a true trailblazer in every sense of the word. So that's why, where I want to focus most of the episode today. Uh, my conversation with Brian Bell is coming up on the other side. But before we do that, if you can bear uh, my faint microphoneless voice for just a few more moments, I do want to address... Uh, some comments made this week by Dave Copay, who uh, came out in 1975, of course, the former NFL running back, uh, came out 45 years ago, and he was quoted this week in an Associated Press piece expressing his frustration with the lack of openly gay male athletes in elite team sports. Copay said, we now have gay marriage, but we don't have openly gay athletes in the NFL it makes no sense. And this prompted me to write a piece on Outsports Friday about how Copay is not alone. A number of retired, openly gay male athletes have expressed frustration over the years, and in recent years in particular, about the lack of openly gay players in our major team sports. You had Robbie Rogers in 2016 say this. Robbie Rogers, of course, came out in the MLS in 2013. I'm at the stage where it's kind of stupid. What's going on? I would never force anyone out, and everyone has their time, but come on, it's 2016. Remember I said this was four years ago? A lot has changed in the U.S. and around the world. And whenever I talk about the, 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 you know, the topic of lack of openly gay athletes in major male team sports, two things come to mind. Number one, and Sid Ziegler and I actually were just talking about this this week, yeah, in the world of LGBTQ sports, when you're on the outside looking in, the the big topic always just seems to be exactly this one. Why is there no NFL gay NFL player? Why is there no gay NBA player right now, etc.? But really, when you look at sports as a whole, in the sports world as a whole, not just U.S. sports, but international sports, uh, the four or five major male team sports in the U.S., you throw in the Premier League, I mean, it, it really is such a small sliver of the sports landscape. Women's sports, out-athletes have been thriving for decades. The WNBA's biggest stars are LGBTQ, Megan Rapino, the U.S. soccer team. I mean, go on down the line. So women's sports, far, far light years, in fact, ahead of the men in this case. And Every week at OutSports, we profile out college and high school athletes, other young athletes. So this is just such a small sliver of our world. I don't want to pay so much attention to it because there are so many stories worth talking about with actual out athletes and so many positive stories to celebrate in that light. But as somebody who's always been a diehard sports fan and works in sports media, it's it's always been a question that's fascinated me. And it's interesting to see the frustration, and I think understandable to see this palpable frustration among athletes who have come out waiting for others to follow suit. Uh, you go back to when Robbie Rogers came out in 2013. I mean, that was seven years ago, just one year after Barack Obama endorsed same-sex marriage. So 
You even go back seven years ago, we've come a long way from then, and we have fewer out athletes in these major sports. You had Jason Collins, you had Michael Sam, you had Derek Gordon, the college basketball player at the time, come out as well. And now, you know, I mean, we have eight out gay or bi players in college football. That's great. And I think that's how it's going to happen. A player who's already out is going to get drafted. And that's how we'll finally have our first. And that's great to see. But just, it's a question. And, you know, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago on the show. I, I know I wrote about it. Colin Martin said it in November. There's never been a better time to come out as a gay athlete. And you want proof, just look at what happened to him. He plays professional soccer for the San Diego Loyal. They forfeited a game this season after Martin said an opponent had called him a gay slur. And as a result, they forfeited a chance for the playoffs. I mean, if that's not support, I don't know what is. So we've been asking for such a long time, what's holding these athletes back? Dave Cope asked it this week to the Associated Press and made a lot of headlines. And I say it's a question that we've been asking for years. And at the end of 2020, it just continues to remain unanswered. So that's my spiel on that. Again, at OutSports, we focus on so many other things. On this show, I hope we focus on so many other things. There's so many other stories worth telling. But that is, it, it just remains a mystery. And as I said, as we get further along, now almost into 2021, it's just even more mystifying. So that's my take on that. Now it's time for Brian Bell, who I swear does have a microphone. So look forward to that. That's on the other side. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Sports Kiki podcast. Uh, going Michaelis here. We're going in raw as we do when we have an outsports member on the team. Uh, so Mike Problem, never... Never stopped us, Brian Bell. He is uh, one of our great podcasters of the LGBT in the Ring pod, also one of our producers focusing on the world of pro wrestling and esports. Uh, Brian, welcome to the Kiki, man. What's going on? I am very happy to be here. I am not as happy that uh, apparently my appearance has ruined your microphone, but. No. <laughs> well, we'll, I mean. We'll make do. We'll make do. Uh, really, this thing is like taped together, and I've been putting off buying a new one for months. To, and that's not an exaggeration. So I guess I guess all good things come to an end. Um, so I had you on, and I was saying this in the opening. Uh, Pat Patterson, um, you know, died this week, and we throw around the word legend a lot, but I mean, he really was not just a wrestling legend, but a pioneer. He was openly gay in the wrestling world for decades, going back to the what, 60s, 70s. So before we get into more about that, for those who aren't big wrestling people, just uh, give us the elevator pitch, if you will, on Pat Patterson and what he meant to the wrestling industry as a wrestler, and then later as a executive and really a writer for the WWE. So Pat Patterson really is the the definition of the jack of all trades when it comes to pro wrestling. Um, you know, it and wrestling was his life really. He started at the age of 17 in 1958 in Montreal, came to the states shortly thereafter. Didn't know a, like hardly any English when he came to the states originally. I think he went to Boston first and kind of wow. through, he learned so much and grew so much so much through pro wrestling and so and it really came to 
embody him in a way. He he would go on to be a major name in multiple territories back in the in those days, um, through the '60s, most notably in the Pacific Northwest and in San Francisco, really with uh, Roy Shire's territory there. He formed one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Um, definitely the greatest of that era in the 60s into the early 70s with Ray Stevens, uh, the Blonde Bombers. And through that, really cemented himself as a star internationally. He wrestled in Japan. He wrestled in Canada. He wrestled all over the place. Um, ultimately, like went and wrestled in Florida as well under Eddie Graham at Championship Wrestling of Florida. Um, even went on to win like the AWA Tag Team Championship wow. up in up in the the Great Lakes area up there, and this is all before he even really made a name in WWE, um, WWF at the time. You know, he went there, became the first Intercontinental Champion, and one of the most one of the best running jokes in all of pro wrestling, the tournament in Rio de Janeiro, which never actually happened. It's, it's just this running gag sort of thing where they, they made it up so they could put it on him with more prestige in that way. But it still submitted a legacy in, in that way for him to hold that championship first. Legendary rivalries with Bob Backlund, Sergeant Slaughter, all before he retired in, in 84 initially, even though it wasn't the end of his wrestling career, obviously. And that really kind of transitioned into all the other things that he did. Like he was a, he was a booker or you know, the, the matchmaker sort of, like the storyteller behind the scenes for a number of places. And he learned a lot of that from Roy Shire and Eddie Graham. Um, he brought that to WWE. He was basically Vince McMahon's right hand for a long, long time, crafting storylines, crafting characters that um, honestly were legendary in a way. Anybody from the mid-80s on in WWE parlance that you hold dear had some influence from Pat Patterson. Everyone from, you know, like that 80s, the 80s era where like Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, like the, some of the storylines they were involved in all the way up to The Rock, Roman Reigns, John Cena, the people you see today. One of the best pictures I've seen coming out around this was a picture of Pat Patterson celebrating uh, Sami Zayn's NXT championship win from a number of years back. Um, and it just goes to show like he never he might have retired like in name. From yeah. the, from being executive with the company a few years prior to all this, like in like the mid two thousands, I want to say, but he never really left. He was still a consultant with them almost up to the day he died, and yeah. like, he was just crafted this legendary um, uh, reputation in the industry. Um, yeah. And I would think most fans would know him best um, either for what we were talking about in the late 90s, early 2000s as one of Vincent Mann's stooges alongside mm-hmm. Gerald Briscoe yeah. and also for creating the Royal Rumble match. He's mm-hmm. the man who came up with that match in 88 and basically created the one event that no matter like how much you love or hate WWE at a time, where if you're a pro wrestling fan, the Royal Rumble is a must-see thing and it always will yeah. be. Totally. Yeah. It's a landmark event. And Brian has the piece on Outsports right now. Pat Patterson's legacy lives on through the LGBTQ pro wrestling movement. And uh, as a wrestler, like he was a great tag team guy, as you mentioned. What kind of characters did he play? Oh, he was, um, for the most part, fairly pompous in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the very, very platinum blonde, the, the kind of the stereotype for the platinum blonde pro wrestler. I mean, he would be a good guy and a bad guy in different places that he went. Um, most notably, I think, um, in the early 70s in San Francisco, whenever him and Ray Stevens eventually did split, Ray was the one that turned 
heel or turn bad. Yeah. Right. So like Pat Patterson was definitely like the number one uh, baby face in that territory for a while. And he really became like a number one, no matter where he went, whether it be tag team or singles, um, probably one of my favorite matches of his. And I think it's kind of universally celebrated 1981 WWE. His rivalry with Sergeant Slaughter is a thing of legends. They mm. had a series of boot camp matches at Madison square garden that were outstanding in other areas as well in the, the WWF territory at the time. And it kind of culminated in this one match at Madison square garden called the alley fight, which is still heralded as one of the, um, the best matches, um, definitely one of the best matches of, of Patterson's career, but just one of the best matches of WWF um, past. Like I, I ended up re- go back and rewatching that match like two or three really? times since he's died. And it's just like, it's every time it's just guttural. If you ever seen the image of him wearing an, I love New York t-shirt and building yeah. a belt, that's that match. Wow, it's, wow. It's just awesome. So, and I'm, I'm amazed by reading your piece about him that he arrived, he leaves Montreal in 1958, arrives in Boston afterwards, and that's where he found his partner. So this is somebody who's openly gay in his life and pursuing career in wrestling in the late 50s, early 60s, when, you know, we had, the, we had you know, raids going on pretty much in our federal government. I mean, this was very, uh, really trailblazing-like stuff. No, definitely. I mean, like, really, the Boston scene is where you start to see him kind of like really. It's, I mean, I'm sure, like, before, whenever he was in Montreal, he like knew who he was and, and embraced it in a way, but he really like fully embraced it with other people in Boston in, in a way that was very powerful because that's where he met Louis Dondero, his longtime partner. Yeah. They were together for like 40 years hmm. um, starting then. And, and really, that was facilitated because of other gay wrestlers in the Boston area at the time who were closeted and even Patterson, like while it wrestling fans knew that he was, that he was gay, but he never really publicly came out for the longest time, not until like 2014 at, on hmm. WWE legends house um, yeah. he really publicly come out. But like, it was one of the, like for lack of a better term, the worst kept secret in wrestling in a way, like everybody knew it. And, and he was always out to the locker room, but but it just goes to show that, like, really, the the fact that he was able to accomplish as much as he did while still like being out for the most part, really, it lends itself to to make those accomplishments even more esteemed. Honestly, yeah, and, and that video you mentioned, 2014, uh, it's online, easy to find. I encourage anyone to do it. Uh, he comes out very emotional in 2014. So obviously much older. He's with Jimmy Hart. He's with Jim Duggan. He's with Mean Gene Okerlund. I think I saw Howard Finkel. He's with, you know, real legends, his peers. And uh, the, the their reaction is is really heartwarming. Um, it, it really is. It's uh, And it's amazing how much those guys... So, yeah. So was he universally... I mean, I don't want to say universal. I guess we would never know. But I mean, in general, it seems like People knew he was gay and were very supportive of it. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I can't really. Wow. The only time that I can remember really hearing or, or reading anything about somebody being sort of an attractor was when he first went to the Roy Shire territory in San Francisco. Because apparently Roy Shire, ironic. Yeah, really. Because <laughs> apparently Roy Shire not a fan of 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 the gays. Um, huh. But apparently very shortly after Pat Patterson went there and and Shire realized that he could make money with this guy, didn't really care anymore. So, hmm. yeah, that's hmm. that's the only thing that comes to mind when it comes to somebody actually like actively being um, uh, resistant. 
So what does this say? I mean, so Brian, you're, you're a huge wrestling person and a historian as well. What does this say about the culture of pro wrestling that someone like Pat Patterson rose to his heights as an openly gay man? Again, not 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but we're talking, you know, 50, 60 years ago. It's, it's an interesting uh, dichotomy, honestly, because while Pat behind the scenes and in, in, in the ring, like, didn't really present in the ring he did not present he wasn't coded queer or anything like that. sure you know but everybody knew behind the scenes but it didn't stop those companies from really like still feeding into homophobia and this some of the ideas of of toxic masculinity when it came to the presentation of the product and you know we're we're still seeing examples of that today in some places um so it's one of those things where it showed that wrestling was more accepting, but it also showed that they still like felt just in a way in presenting the product in the way that they did. And granted, like it was much more coded. It wasn't as overt as you would get in like into the, like the mid to late nineties, I would say. Like it wasn't Jerry Lawler going in the ring, like call like asking Goldust if he was uh, you know a faggot or anything like that. But it was definitely still there um in a lot of ways and a lot of coding of characters but pat shows that like those people exist like existed in that scene they persevered and it wasn't just pat as well like pat was teamed up with um a manager of the grand wizard who was also uh gay for a while in wwe um for a time and prior to that i want to say um and then you also had like promoters like jim barnett in georgia that you know were out to everybody for the most part so pat along with others in that era really represented what that wrestling had these attitudes that were positive but they weren't always showing them on the outside yeah yeah so i I mean i was gonna ask i'm immensely fascinated by vince mcmahon uh what do you think his relationship with pat patterson says about him or does it not say anything in just a case of a person with bad beliefs just happen to have one gay friend in confidence? <laughs> I think <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because like, I don't, I can't read Vince's mind, obviously, of course, but, yeah, but, yeah. A, but a number of his actions have pointed to like ideas that are pretty, pretty resident, reticent um, when it comes to his product. Um, I don't know if Vince really ever viewed Pat as his gay friend per se. I think okay. for, for Vince, it was more so just Pat Patterson and Pat Patterson had a great mind for this business, mm-hmm. and they, the two of them together, along with multiple other people, like interchangeably into the creative um, scene behind WWE over the years, really worked to craft a giant in this industry, one that has come to dominate it in in many many ways. So I think it was more so just the working relationship that blossomed into a a great friendship around all of this. Interesting. And I was going to ask, as as, uh, what is the what is the culture like for LGBTQ people in the WWE today? I know a few wrestlers have come out. Well, it's a lot better. I'll say that much. I mean, at least like you have a number of out talent that are signed to the roster now. Probably the most that they've had ever. Definitely the most that they've had ever. Um, you know, you, even just in the past few years, like you've had people like Jake Atlas, Mercedes Martinez, um, Sonia Deville have all been working there before that you had, uh, Fred Rosser, the former Darren Young, um, there as well. 
And then you've had a number of people that were on the roster previously that came out while on the roster, um, much like Rosser did. Like we had um, Piper and Evan come out as bisexual. Tegan Knox, you know, recently came out as bi plus. You've had a, it's it's been a, a much more inviting environment, I would say. Um, and and to my knowledge, like that really has been something that that has existed in WWE for a while, um, but not as outwardly as it has. You know, um, and like you wouldn't have had a WWE program like The Bump asking Tegan, like bringing up Tegan Knox's coming out on their program and talking to her about it on their program, I think, um, in like a decade ago in the WWE. So there's definitely been a step in the right direction. There's still there's still issues, obviously. Um, I mean, we're only a year removed from them using queer identities for basically a crude joke. Um, and, and really just frustrating a whole lot of fans um, around that. But there's definitely steps made. It's just a matter of how many steps are you making to counteract the ones you're taking backwards as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm always, you know, I, I fell out of wrestling years ago, but I, I still keep in, keep up through you and, and, you know, in the coverage that you have. And uh, I know that this is an ex- specific, specific to LGBTQ issues but i mean one thing that i thought was grotesque was didn't a wrestler recently tweet support for a labor union and like within minutes was released from the wwe yeah so that was that was a very interesting story yeah so selena vega yes yeah she tweeted out uh pro unionization language right before being released from the company there's reportedly the release was known that it was coming and she just kind of got out in front of it ahead of time i don't i it's it's yeah. just a report but like yeah like there's just like there there are issues beyond just the lgbtq issues with wwe that are hopefully going to be addressed you know there's a lot of discussion around the the labor and classification of their talent over there well it's i i always thought you know from the beyond the mat video 20 years ago whenever that came out that it's like just absurd that these guys are independent i mean women too these wrestlers are independent contractors they have no i mean they do such a dangerous brutal thing they are on the road constantly they've been working throughout this pandemic well before any other sports uh got back up and running and and they have no protections because they're independent contractors that to me has always been one of the most undercovered stories in the sports and entertainment field and if it was any other industry but wrestling it would it would have already been front page news decades ago i think no, it definitely would have. And I think that's why having such a larger spotlight shown on it recently is important. You had the Zelina Vega situation that actually culminated in her having discussions with SAG Astra or SAG SAG Astra. I can't, Sorry, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, having conversations with SAG um, around the. Um, the issues of, of classification of employment there. Um, you've had Andrew Yang come out very vocally yep. speaking about, you know, wanting to look at the situation with WWE and how they classify their independent contractors and really working out the contracts there to figure out um, better situations for them. And WWE, like to their credit, if you're under contract with them, they do cover like healthcare stuff for the most part. Yeah. But there's so many, 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 many other issues that you cannot hide behind that wall when it comes to like how well you treat your talent, you know, like I'll use a lot of the situation that's brewing right now is because of them kind of usurping talents, usage of Twitch and, and cameo 
for supplemental income and building out brands for themselves and wanting to rather like incorporate all of it under a WWE brand. And, you know, that's been a very, very sore spot for, for a lot of the talent there coming out of that. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. They want to control it all. They want to control it all. Um, And uh, lastly, Brian, I mean, what, what draws you so much to wrestling and what do you think it has to do with your identity as a LGBTQ person? Uh, um, the art form, yeah, the storytelling of it. Like, yes, I I enjoy great technical wrestlers. I enjoy the athleticism. I enjoy the the feats that I could never, in my wildest dreams, ever dream of making a human body do. But it's really the ability to humanize people and to tell stories that are emotionally invoking and can really change your perspective on a lot of things. It's one of the reasons why I really enjoy covering the the LGBTQ sector of this, because I think that LGBTQ pro wrestlers, bookers, storytellers, referees, whatever facet they're in, because they're in every facet of this industry in different places. Like no matter where they're at, they're finally having the ability to tell stories that ruminate with our community. And that's powerful. It's showing that this industry doesn't belong to just one person or one community. It belongs to all of us, and we can all use it to tell our stories. And to me, that's really the power of this, and why I enjoy continuing to engage with continuing to engage with it. Catch him uh, on the LGBT in the Ring Pod, released every Thursday, where you can find your favorite Outsports podcast. Read them outsports.com. And Brian Wonderboy OTM at Wonderboy OTM is Brian's Twitter. Uh, Brian, you have to explain to me you're you're bleeding from the mouth in your Twitter picture. Are you aware of this <laughs> development? It's, I am uh, rather aware. That was um yeah. I don't know. That was from we were I was shooting a horror movie. Oh my god. And I tested out the blood capsules and like a so, real wrestler. Yep. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Going through what they experience. Brian, thanks, man. No problem. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Kiki Podcast, and we'll talk to you next, next weekend, where I promise I'll have a functional microphone. Talk then.